Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of HC, a third culture kid, where I, as a third culture kid, share my thoughts, experiences, and conversations. A third culture kid is someone that grew up in a country that's different from the one that their parents were raised in, and that's me, because I grew up in Brazil most of my life, though I was born in Korea. So welcome. Welcome back to existing listeners, and welcome to the new listeners. As I do in these podcast episodes, at least the recent ones, I've been doing on my monologue. I thought I was going to go with the theme, but you know, sometimes I think I just want to mix it up with things that I just want to talk about, just recap and just ramble. I think I enjoy doing that in the podcast and trying to always think of structured topics is, uh, there's some burden in that. There's, I have, there's some work in that, that, that I guess it doesn't always energize me. I think I like doing sometimes, but not like always. So in this podcast episode, I'm just going to ramble. I'm going to talk about things that uh, I thought about throughout the week, things that I experienced. I mean, this includes watching the NBA Finals basketball game. It was game four at the Boston Celtics. And I'll also talk about prep for law school, things that have happened. And then I'll also talk about working out with dumbbells oh and netflix shows that i'm watching i guess i think that's a good amount all right let's get started i won't go in order but i think i'll talk about law school prep a little bit so i unfortunately missed the on-campus housing deadline for my law school so i have to likely look for off-campus housing options it's like almost a certainty i'll have to look for off-campus housing options i was worried that i wouldn't be able to find any options um and some good ones especially around the university but i am feeling a little bit more hopeful especially looking at some of the uh the options that i seem to have available and i'm looking at like street easy uh columbia law school also has this off-campus housing resource that you can turn to um, to look at some options available to you uh i do have to say that webs that that website that they offer is not as easy to navigate but uh i think they offer I think it's more vetted. I have to watch the video. There's like a, a video and a tutorial about how to go about off-campus housing selections and your research. But yeah, there are many resources available for off-campus housing options. So I'm feeling hopeful that I'll be able to find a good option. And the apartment prices that I'm seeing, as long as you filter it down to like what whatever your budget is, there seems to be options available. And my budget's like generally like below... 2500 ideally like within the 2000 range like very close to the 2000 range and there seem to be options even like near the university so it's not looking as bad as i thought so that's good i'm also like thinking about selling my car uh so that i mean i'm not going to be using my car i think in new york but what from what i hear and always the best uh evidence i think for making decisions for, for myself is direct experience but in this case i don't think i can do that but based on my, what I've been hearing, what I've been seeing, uh, and Reddit is one of my go-tos. It doesn't look like I'll need a car there as much. So I am thinking about selling my car so that I can use that to fund my law school education as well. So I'm looking into that. Uh, what are the things that I have to check off my checklist? Now, those are the big things like housing. Uh, how am I going to move things? I was like, deciding between whether i wanted to sell all my things or uh and then buy them new when i get to new york or if i want to just take everything that i own and then uh yeah just don't bother with buying but assemble everything there and then do that 
but it came down to like I was trying to compare the financial costs of each. I think taking everything is going to cost around like two thousand to three thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. But buying everything uh, again there is actually going to be close to that. I think like if I think about my bed, my standing desk, my piano, uh, various other things, it like almost adds up already to two thousand dollars. My TV, all these things, it's at, it's at, I think it's already over $2,000. Uh, and then I think some of the things I was thinking about, was like, okay, is now let me compare the hassle of taking everything and then the hassle of buying everything. And maybe it's comparable, like buying everything, bringing everything up and assembling everything too. That might be quite a hassle. But then with taking everything, then I have the benefit of having everything I need in one place instead of having to like try to gather things from different places, especially if I want to like go to Ikea, like that, I don't think I want to deliver from Ikea or do I, I don't know what the prices are, but that adds, adds like an extra expense that might just make it more expensive than uh, taking everything and moving and using like a pod. So what a pod is, I think this is, a, uh, it's like a service that U-Haul or this company called pods offers is where they'll, they'll leave like a container in your residence for a little bit. And then you can just, pack your stuff in that container and then they'll take that container to wherever you need to go within the states. So that service that I thought I was looking at was around like $2,000, $3,000. Like some other options were maybe hauling my car over the country uh, with like a trailer attached to it. That I think was actually more expensive than $2,000, $3,000 and it would probably wear on my car quite a bit and it might be dangerous. I've never done that before too. So there was just a little bit more risk there. So it made more sense, I think, to use a pod. Yeah, so three things so far. Uh, look for off-campus housing, look to sell my car, and I just look to move all my stuff. I think that's pretty much the big things. It's, I think I, I can't uh, underestimate how long these tasks are going to take. So I should prepare in advance. Uh, if I do end up moving all the way, then it's gonna, yeah, it's, that's gonna be in two months. Orientation starts uh, around mid-August, so gotta prepare. But that's been weighing on my mind. Uh, try to or, trying to organize everything. So that's uh, on law school. What else has been happening? Oh, and then there was this. Um, Columbia has also offered us students to defer yet another time. Last year, I think there was a request that. Where Columbia asked uh, if anybody wanted to defer uh, another year or two, and then they would uh, they would compensate slash attach or add add the nice uh, reward. <laughs> what is that called? That's not a contingency. I don't know what the word is, but basically, if you defer, they're they're offering sixty thousand dollars for you to defer one or two years. They did that last year, and they're doing it again this year. Usually, they do that because they over enroll students. I guess they did that again. Yeah. I can speculate about what the rationale for even over-enrolling students is. My guess is, is my guess, is that a lot of people that apply to Columbia Law probably apply to like other top law schools, like really top law schools like Yale, Stanford, Harvard, Chicago, uh, UPenn, NYU. list goes on, I guess, until the top 14. But then they they extend admission offers to several of these in anticipation that many of these prospective students that they extend admissions offers to may go to these other schools. So 
that our full list of admissions offers is now what they expect will actually be enrolling in the school. And I guess there's some guesswork that they're doing and trying to ascertain what percentage of admissions offers will actually enroll. And maybe they overestimated this time. That's my guess. And I think that's a really other rationale to that. They want to be able to, I think, prepare their year so that their classes are are adequately enrolled with students. So you might want to like overestimate than underestimate. But then you have a wait list um, to kind of turn to if you under enrolled, right? But yeah, maybe. But maybe it's just a it's a response to risk aversion. It's a major response to risk aversion. Just want over enroll, get all the qualified candidates that you can admissions offers. Give um, give them ample time to make fair consideration on whether they want to attend. And then for waitlisted candidates, it might just be candidates they're not entirely sure about. Yeah. Anyway, so that's going on. So that's in law school. Another thing that happened in the most recent few days is the NBA's finals game. Uh, it was game four. It was a game, how uh, NBA finals and playoff series work is uh, first team to win four games is the winner. So there can be a total of, uh, total of about like seven games between two teams in the playoff. A match. The Warriors were down 2 1, so Boston Celtics, they won two games and the Warriors won one game. And then this game was game four. If the Warriors had lost, they would have been down 3 1, and only one team ever in the NBA Finals history recovered from a 3 1 deficit, and that happened to be the Cleveland Cavaliers, led by LeBron James and with heroic acts by Kyrie Irving, defeating actually the Golden State Warriors in 2016. So it's been only done by one team. So the odds would not be great. History's weight would have just weighed down on them um, from even winning the finals had they lost and gone to a 3-1 deficit. But uh, the Golden State Warriors pulled through. Steph Curry had an amazing game of 43 points where it looked like the rest of his team was struggling, especially uh, Draymond Green. Uh, the stat sheet might just look very average, but if you watch him throughout the game, he seemed to like almost fumble the ball when you try to pass, because his game is a lot of passing to the, the shooters around him, the players that are moving around, but he seemed to kind of like struggle when passing the ball. It could have been the defense. It could have been psychological. It's hard to tell. But point is, the supplemental players around Steph Curry seemed to struggle quite mightily. So Steph Curry having 43 points was really huge in bringing home the, 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 the game win and then tying up the series 2-2 between the Warriors and the Celtics. Yeah, I didn't watch the entire game. I caught the fourth quarter, parts of the first half, but definitely not the third quarter. But based on what I saw, Celtics fans are very aggressive. I mean, it's not just this one. I think I Kyrie Irving, when he was... Kyrie Irving used to be a Boston Celtic, and then he went to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, but when the Brooklyn Nets visit the Celtics uh, stadium, the fans just are very on him. Uh, they will throw a lot of some names at him. They'll make chants about him. Uh, there's clearly some resentment there for for him leaving the Celtics. And Kyrie Irving was clearly irked. You would also um, respond with profanity, with hand gestures that that were, I mean, it was the middle finger, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, hand gestures that are not uh, respectful, I guess, and offensive. But well, he got fined for this, so clearly it was inappropriate behavior as well. At least the office deemed it. 
But I think this also goes to show that the Boston Celtics can be pretty aggressive and can quite provoke players as well. And I, I, I think was it the, was it the Celtics that threw a water bottle at him some uh, one one point? Did the Celtics? Let me the Celtics crowd throw a water bottle at Kyrie? Oh no! no. Did the Celtics crowd throw a water bottle at Kyrie? Yeah, it was a Celtics fan to throw a water bottle. So on top of the profanity, upon top of the chance, and just a verbal onslaught that the Celtics fans bring, they physically threw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving. So yeah, so they're overly aggressive, and they cross the line sometimes a bit. And that was also maybe that aggression showed in this game as well, where they were chanting like "Fuck you, Draymond," "Fuck you, Draymond." Uh, they was they uh, they were shouting profanities. I saw a clip of the commissioner of the NBA who oversees pretty much entire operations of the NBA, manages that, and is the one that's accountable for the NBA and, and his decisions. And he was, his response seemed to kind of softly condone the Boston Celtics' aggression. Like he said, you know, that's, you know, they may be disrespectful, but he gets it. That was a clip. Maybe I'm missing some context here. But. It, it clearly wasn't, from the commissioner himself, it clearly wasn't an attitude that was going to forbid that sort of behavior. So you saw the Celtics fans and their antics and aggressive antics. Uh, I might have gotten to Draymond. He was playing poorly. So in terms, just purely from a, a strategical effectiveness standpoint, that was an effective strategy from the Boston Celtics fans, it seems, because the outcome, uh, the outcome seems to be pretty has to be, the outcome was pretty starkly apparent on the target uh, that they were uh, directing their chance and onslaught of just aggression to. Uh, what else happened? And Curry was clearly the star and the MVP of the game. Jason Tatum was the, who's supposed to be the best player on the Celtics team, but in this finals, I think has been outplayed by his teammate Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown's uh, Jalen Brown has been scoring more. Rebounding better, maybe, uh, well, maybe more efficient as well. I'm not quite sure, but Jason Tatum had like 20 some points. Yeah, but they see they were struggling at the fourth quarter. Basketball is a game of four quarters, uh, each 12 minutes long, so it's a 48 minute long game. It's supposed to be at least gameplay is supposed to be 48 minutes, but there's going to be like timeouts, fouls, the clock stops, so the entire game may last like two hours. Or two and a half hours, even though it's the gameplay is supposed to be like 48 minutes. Yeah, it's less than an hour. It's amazing how one, like less than an hour game can translate into like two and a half hours. Right? Yeah, two and a half hours-ish. Well, that's a lot of, it's a lot of time. A lot of filler time. Basically, more than 50% of the actual end-to-end, beginning of the end to the end of the game, that time, that span of time, is, is 50, more than 50% of that is non-gameplay material, whatever it is, commentary, uh, ads, is it mostly ads? Yeah, ads, timeouts, fouls, reviewing uh, fouls, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, what, what else did I think about the game? Yeah, where do the Celtics defense as a team to struggle as much? Yes, Curry went out for like 43 points, but where the defense doesn't seem to struggle as much because they did hold down all the other supporting players pretty much. Their offense seems to like struggle at times. 
Like I think I remember they were down three points at some point in the three minute mark, and they they were gunning for a three to tie up the game, and they shot like three threes that were pretty good clean looks, and they missed. Uh, at some point, I think Al Horford did score a three, like in the two minute mark ish, but at that point the Warriors were up by like six or something. So I think a three to tie the game would have been pretty big for the momentum um, and pretty material to determine what the final outcome would have been or changing the final outcome where the Warriors win. But yeah, the offense seems to struggle at times for the Celtics. The defense, I don't think it struggles as much, but the offense seems to struggle. Yeah. And that might be credit to the Warriors defense too. Anyway, but that was the game. It was exciting. Uh, it's a big win. Uh, what was notable also about this game, and the commentators noted this, was that uh, Draymond Green has been an all-star and a staple and an important, crucial piece to the Warriors team um, in their entire history, in their successes, in their history. But what Steve Kerr did was he benched Draymond Green in the fourth quarter, which is a very crucial time. It's the last stretch to try to bring the, the game home uh, and then bring a win to the team. But he benched Draymond Green instead of playing him significantly too. And they were saying how that was a astute decision, but also a courageous one. So there's just many, I think, moments, uh, especially with the Warriors, that are worth praising, noting, remembering about this game and what makes this game a, a, a pretty good one. All right, so that was the Warriors. What else did I say I was going to talk about? Oh, Netflix shows. What Netflix shows have I been watching? There's this show, this Korean dating show uh, called Change Days. It's very much like the ultimatum, but I think this predated ultimatum. So I'm, I'm, I, if anything, this might be the original show, and maybe the ultimatum borrowed ideas there. Uh, Koreans just have a lot of great ideas. Mask Singer, what that show in, in American, um, American TV, that also originated, or it, not about originated. I don't know about it, but it, it, there was an original Korean show called Mask Singers as well that predates the masking version in Korea in, in the States. So we just have a lot of good ideas and the world recognizes it. I mean, you can see that with the K-pop phenomenon, people that we're like the only East or we are the most globally popular East Asian music industry. When you think of our, um, the, the, the groups and the boy bands that are like really popular, I'm thinking BTS, of course, I think Blackpink's probably pretty globally popular as well, but BTS unrivaled. So we just, I think all of this is a testament to the global recognition of uh, some uh, of our cultural ideas and feats. So Netflix show called Change Days, where uh, similar to the ultimatum, couples that are struggling come on and then they'll change their, they'll, they'll go on dates with another couple's counterpart. And then they can decide to continue dating that person, see other people. But basically, they're just testing their relationship like the ultimatum by dating other people and seeing if what they really want is their couple, the existing couple, or somebody else. Like to them to make a decision whether to stay or to leave the relationship. That's clearly the premise of the show, but I, the, the, the underlying reason probably for having a show like this is because we know it's going to attract viewers. Or the media company or the producers know this is going to attract viewers. The premise is the front and the strategy to attract viewers. But the primary motive for shows like this, uh, I suspect, and I've, yeah, I believe, yeah, the primary motive for this is really just to attract viewers. 
just all about making that money. But it's a, it is in a, it was a pretty interesting show. And then all these couples, I think in the ultimatum, I think once you couple up with another person instead of your original partner, you might go your separate ways. Like you might be in different houses and stuff, or at least different apartments. You don't have to like see each other. But in this show, they're all put under one roof and they have to see these uncomfortable interactions their original partner might have with somebody else. And must face it, all these side conversations that may happen, they will have uh, very close proximity to. And there's a good chance that they get walked in on. So it is an uh, environment and with rules for the show that is very conducive of chaos. Yes. Yeah, it's very interesting when you see like... Uh, so let's say like there's a boyfriend that does ask it out another girl uh, for another date. And then they're uncomfortable. The, the the girlfriend in this situation, let's say, is like uncomfortable, which definitely makes sense. But then the guy who asked the other girl out is uncomfortable that the, that his girlfriend is uncomfortable and doesn't wish it so. It wishes that the girlfriend is more comfortable. But that's like an impossible thing to ask. Um, and almost it's so it's such a one sided way of thinking of things. Of course, if your boyfriend asks another girl out while you're still in a relationship with that girl, or even like recently broken up regardless, of course the girl is going to be upset. And for the guy to expect something else, or the girl, like whatever, switch the roles or switch the genders, but uh, to ask the person not to be upset is just ridiculous. Yeah, there's just, when I see these things happen, or in the show, it's just, there's, I think there's a, yeah, there's like a very naive lack of understanding and embracing that this is going to bring uncomfortable feeling. It's like they don't want the uncomfortable feelings yet. It's completely reasonable to feel uncomfortable for the counterpart and upset. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so it's it just it, it, some of it's like pretty self-absorbed that you would not want your partner to feel uncomfortable when you yourself might be seeking out another relationship. Of course they're gonna be uncomfortable. Don't ask that of your partner. The fact that your partner is here kind of like watching all that, that's already pain enough. And then to ask further that that they be okay with you seeing somebody else. That's, oh my God, that is just so selfish. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Uh, Netflix shows. What other Netflix shows? Oh, I watched, not a Netflix show, but I watched uh, Ted Lasso. I binge watched that. It's, on, it's a show on Apple TV. I uh, It's about a character. I think one of the characters said it best. He's like relentless and like super nice. But it's about a, a coach who... Used to be a football coach in D2, so basically in an amateur league. Yeah, and they get hired by a professional football club, a soccer club back in England to coach there. And then him trying to turn a team around. There's these other characters that have their own stories that either conflict or mesh with other characters. You just cheer all these characters on. Uh, but really the main character and a lot of the theme is about just optimism. This coach that's constantly optimistic. And relentless in his optimism and positivity, and he goes through his trials and tribulations too, which is you just you just cheer him on just because of his personality and just how positive he is, almost unconditionally, just so much goodness in his heart. But it's a comedy as well, so there's like a lot of funny moments with his optimism. There's a parody of his uh, of Alan Iverson's famous practice speech, you know, where he rants on about how the media seems to be so concerned about practice and like criticizing him for not prioritizing practice when it should be about the game 
They're talking about practice, which isn't about the game that actually matters in a season's record. So, yeah, it's a lot of funny moments. And yeah, it was heartwarming to watch, too. It's like comedy as well, so there's laughs. So it's overall just a pretty positive show. It's a feel-good show. I would recommend. I think Rotten Tomatoes gave it around like a 94%, which I think is deserved. Yeah. Otherwise, it's also been very hot here in California. It hasn't been too bad, uh, I think, but it has been pretty hot. Oh, inflation is oh crazy. Uh, yesterday, we were getting food. Uh, it was uh, a Korean food. It's kalbijim. It's, it's like braised beef rib stew. It takes a while to cook that. I think last time I went to pick this up, it was like $65. And last time was probably like six to eight months ago. So it's been a while, but it's less than a year. But now it's $75. That's like more than a 10% bump on the prices. Uh, I'm, I'm not calling out the restaurant. I think that's just indicative of inflation. I mean, you're seeing that with gas prices. Everything, where every, everywhere prices are going up. And that made me really, really like wonder, like, wow. My salary bump uh, for the year, which I'm lucky to have, uh, but still, the salary bump for the year accounting for inflation is so much less than I anticipated just because everything has gotten so much more expensive. So, yeah. And so many food prices, takeaway is many foods uh, are now more than 10% expensive than it was like less than a year ago. Food prices. What else has gotten more expensive? Luckily, the gym membership that I bought, I think, kind of was before this inflation wave really hit or gained a, a ton of momentum. Maybe. I don't know. The gym prices were a little bit more expensive. But yeah, inflation. Oh, man. It's just a, like this discrepancy between how items that you purchase can adjust in prices on a daily basis while your salary may change on like a periodic basis i think that makes it very uh difficult that like non-dynamic adjustment to actual cost of living of your salary makes it makes difficult inflation difficult to handle now if it, if your salary dynamically adjusted to very sharp inflation at any given point in time when i feel like companies can do this like that's an arbitrary thing where they would only increase a salary like once every six months. But they could that's just an arbitrary rule that they set. There's no like law that requires that. They could just like suddenly increase a salary that they just know a spike in inflation. They're like, oh okay, you know what? Everyone's gonna get a raise. Perhaps that's gonna be expensive. Of course, so more expense for the company is probably determine a deterrent for the company to actually execute that policy. But these are your employees. You're supposed to show care to your employees too. And the whole point of you giving a salary is to provide for your employees too. So why not uh, act on that very reason again to then adjust for spikes in inflation? So yeah, but yeah, it's just non-dynamic like adjustment or yeah, non-dynamic adjustment to real-time inflation that I think makes it difficult for people to stomach inflation to handle it. That's a part of it. So I'm sure there may be some other reasons, but I think that's a big part. That would really alleviate a lot of the stress with inflation. Yeah. That, yeah, has been inflation. Oh, dumbbells exercises. Yeah, and I think I, I got, so I got these uh, adjustable dumbbells. Basically, you get like one set of dumbbells and they can, they can set themselves to a wide range of weights. 
So from like five pounds all the way to 55 pounds, they'll use like a, some sort of like dial technology where they have like multiple plates on the on the dumbbells. And then you can use dials to like adjust how many plates eventually make it to your dumbbell. So I've been using dumbbells like that to work out as well. And it, it just saves me a trip to the gym. I'm also signed up to a gym as well. But having that option is nice. Yeah. I think there's definitely an up, there's going to be an upper limit of how what you can do with dumbbells because it can only go so high up and you're at home so you can't like add more plates but as long as your workout is within the range of weights then it will take a while I think to go like upper ranges and whatnot so it's a it's a great system especially for saving time and also reducing risk of COVID transmission I believe all right I think those are those are my rambling thoughts, at least for now. I will think I'll do this more regularly. I like doing this, especially if it's just audio. So I will post that more audio podcast and then occasionally do some video ones. But uh, thanks for listening. And I'll catch you guys later. If you're new here, welcome. Hope you enjoyed. And have a great day, folks. <laughs>